we are going to start a series of messages which I'm calling Our House, God's House. Our House, God's House. Turn to that person next to you and say, come and remember that title, Our House, God's House. And it's really uh, to, to look at what the tension is, and who knows there's tension in adulthood, you know, on the one hand, you want to be married and have that great partner, but you also want to maintain the friends from your single life. And it's not that you custard pie at all those brilliant people in your life. There's a tension between getting it right, isn't there? Who knows you want that career break and you want to go and, and get a better job and earn more money, but with that comes more responsibility, more time, but you want to be a great spouse at home too. And there's this tension between something that's going on there and something that's going on. It's part of being grown up. It is a fact of life, and there is a tension with us, with us wanting our own lives to be awesome and fantastic and, and go and throw time and energy into that, but also as God's people having the tension that the house of God's important, and we need to give some, some attention to that, some drive to that, because we want to see the house of God flourish, don't we? Because there's mission in our hearts. There is people coming to this school. There is people living on this estate. There is people in Colchester. There is people in your workplace who need Jesus. And when the house of God flourishes, mission flows out of it, so therefore it's important. And there's a tension, because we're also individuals who want our own house to do well. We want our own finances to flourish. We want our own children to grow up. We want our own marriages to be absolutely epic, and rightly so. So it's about getting this tension right, and probably, if we're honest with ourselves, we often get it wrong, one way or the other. So could today be the start of a day where you look at your life and say, God, help me to get the tension right. I love to use the word balance. When your life is in correct balance, everything flows. But if you're working too hard, giving too many hours to that, I promise you, you'll be unbalanced at home and something will start to creak. And it's not because you're not a good husband and not a good wife, not a good person, but your balance is wrong. And it's true in your Christian walk. If we get too far over here, and it's right to be over here, that something creaks over here. Can you see what I'm trying to say? So are we up for this message? This is something that King David wrestled with. Let me start here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2. It says this. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And it just didn't sit right with David. Look at me. I've got all this wonderful stuff, but the presence of God is out there in a shack. And he was just like, it doesn't feel right. It feels unbalanced. It bothered him. And you can follow the story, and, and he wrestles with God and speaks with the prophet. And in the end, the time isn't to build the house of God, but this is what I love. He couldn't let that tension rest. It just wouldn't sit with him. So what did he do? He didn't say, oh, well, fine, then I'm going to carry on building my house. He set a whole bunch of money aside for the day the temple would be built. And I love that. And what I love about that is it speaks about our impact offering. Many of you who have been in the church for a long time know that once a year, we take a one-off offering to say, come on, this is about the future of the church. And we're setting aside an amount of money so that we one day will be able to buy our own building that we own, that our children can flourish in, that our grandchildren can flourish in, that Eliza can grow up in and flourish and reach this town from. 
the time isn't right now, but we're not saying, oh, well, it's not now, we won't worry about it. We're saying, just like King David, there's a tension. It's important to us. We're going to sow into it. So if you've ever given to an impact offering, give yourselves a round of applause right now, because that's good. But here in Haggai, there's a different thing going on. Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 6 says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put clothes on but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Can you see this? So here they are thinking, well, it's not now. That's not the season we're in. So we'll crack on and do our thing. But it's unbalanced. And so though they were pushing and although they were putting their clothes and although they were making money, they just weren't satisfied. Why? Because they were out of tension. So in our season, we can't look and go, okay, well, we're on the back of a pandemic. Okay, we're we're not sure where we sit with everything. Let's get the tension right, because there's still a house to build. There is still people to reach. There is still people to love and people to serve. Our town cannot stay the same if Equippers Church Essex gets the balance right. So would you be prepared to look at yourself and say, have I got the balance right? And hear me, it is balance. I'm not saying drop your life that is important to you and throw 100% into building God's house. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's tension. And I'm asking you to have a look and consider as we go through these series of messages to think, am I doing things right? Am I having flow in my life because I've got the tension right? Are you with me? Let me start here, which is a very famous passage. All of you, I'm sure, will have heard this one before. I'm going to start here, and then we'll talk about it a bit later. It's Hebrews 10, verse 25. It says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, as so much more, uh, so much more the, the day is approaching. And that's a very famous passage, but you'll see it doesn't start with a capital. It's actually halfway through a sentence. It's part of a bunch of sentences that go on before it. And until you look at the previous one, it's very difficult to understand that one. So what am I going to do as a good preacher? I'm going to take you back a little bit and we'll have a look at the previous. Otherwise, you'll sit there going, what on earth? Now, you need to understand context. Who knows in any biblical scene, you need to understand who's writing it, who are they writing it to, and what's the context in. Otherwise, you can pretty much make the Bible say what you want it to say. So let's, let's keep true to the passage. He is writing to the Hebrew church. He is writing this to a church, the Hebrew church. Now, you've got to understand, for them, this is difficult. Because who knows in Israel that most of the nation didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe he was who he was. These guys have had a revelation. Jesus has revealed himself to him. They're in his, their hearts, and they're doing their best to live for Jesus. That's the context. It would be very easy for them to say, I believe in Jesus, but this is tough. Most of the nation is not with me, so I'm going to shrink back a little bit. I've got my faith in my heart, but I'm just going to just rein it in a little bit. Has anyone in their Christian life thought, you know what, I love Jesus, but I'm going to rein it in a little bit. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. (laughs) But I've been there, and I'm sure you have too. So let's go back uh, to, to Hebrews 10 and verses 22. This is set in the context of three statements that begin with, let 
us. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 22 through 24. Let us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Turn to the person next to you in a big, bold voice, say faith. That was rubbish. Turn to the other person on the other side of you in a better voice, say faith. There it was. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. Here we go again. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Turn to the person next to you. Don't make me do you this twice. Turn to the person next to you and say, hope. hope. Yes, well done. Without wavering, for he who promised us is faithful. And let us Consider one another in order to stir up love. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, love. love. No, no, you, you just drop, this, you drop your standards. <laughs> Come on, turn to the person behind you in a big, bold voice. Say, love. love. There we go. Here we have in these three let us statements, faith, hope, and love. This is the life we are called to, church. A life of faith, hope, and love. We draw near to God in faith. Faith is stirred as we draw near to God. As we draw near to God, we carry this message of hope, the confession of hope. It comes out of us. It's an action. Who knows? Every single one of you have hope in your heart. Every single one of you has hope in your life. A message of hope to carry to anyone who cares to listen. It's a mission statement. And then it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love. Who's the, who's the letter to? It's to the Hebrew church. So when he's talking about let us stir up one another, he's specifically talking to the church. Let us consider the church. Have a look, look around, guys. There's some really good-looking people in this church. Let us consider this awesome bunch of people. Why? Because we've got to stir each other up to love better. And who knows this? How can I love people I don't really know if I'm not very good at loving the people I do really know. There is something that needs to happen in a church context, in a church community, where we love each other better. You know, you could argue that one of the primary goals of meeting together at church is to become better at loving people. If you can't love that person sat next to you, come on, up your game a little bit. If you can't love the person sat three rows behind you, up your game a little bit. One of the reasons we get together is to learn to love better. And it's important. When you look at purpose of church, I think you can boil it down to three things. If you want to draw a triangle, you could do that. I saw someone give this message and they used a Toblerone. <laughs> and it's like this. It's like there's something that's upward, something that's outward, and something that's inward. Always in a church context, we worship. We worship upwards. We look to the King of Kings he is God, I am not. He is my king, I am his servant. I bow the knee, you are God. We had an awesome time of worship just then, didn't we? Why? Because we're going up. But then there's this outward. You see, in my worship of God, I know it's not just about me. There are people who need Jesus in their life. Imagine living in this season not knowing Jesus. I don't even want to put myself there. But there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in our lives who are living without Jesus. And so having connected with the heart of the Father, we now have a message in our heart that we take outwards. It's mission. We are a church on mission. But then there's this inward thing where we actually need to be about each other too. 
that we need to learn to love each other better. And sometimes that's not easy. Because who knows, church would be brilliant if there was no people in it. Because we're all a bit awkward, we're all a bit opinionated, we're all at different stages, we've all got a different idea on what's what, and so when you put ten people like that into a room, it's different. But you know what? God says, get in that room together and love each other. And that means you've got to spur me on, I've got to spur you on. Where I'm a bit rough around the edges, rub it off a little bit. But when you're around me, I'm going to rub it off you. And sometimes it's a bit painful, but as you come out the other side, you're just a better person. You are just more able to love people. So when we go out on mission and meet people we don't know, we are better at loving people. It's one of the reasons we get together. Are you here with me? And so when you look at church, you know, ever since Jesus left and said, you know, go, it's always been the same. It's always been this element of worship. Now, it might not have been what we do now with drums and keyboards and guitars and all this. It might have been a flute. Or it might have just been a clap of hands. And do you know what? That was good. And it was worship. You know, years ago, it might have just been one person and a guitar. And that was good. And it was worship. We do it differently now. But it's the same principle. It's worship. You know, when you look at community, who knows? Who's been a Christian long enough to know that it's not a a church-based event unless you have quiche? It's just one of those things. If you haven't got quiche, it's not a church-based event. So years ago, you had community around the quiche. Someone brought in the royal quiche. But that's not what we do now. And the idea of community has changed. Isn't it been interesting this year uh, through the pandemic, we found community online. That is something new. But you know what it still is? It's still community. The principle's the same. And so I wonder as we sort of wrestle through what church looks like in our time with all our added pressures and all the different things going on in our world, what could it look like if we actually got healthy tension correct? Because it's not changed and God's still the same and it's God's idea and it's God's mission. I want to suggest to you today that in this season of the three things, worship, mission and community, the thing we are wrestling with most in this time is community. For all kinds of reasons. But you look at our culture on large, not speaking just about this group of people or even the church on large, just the culture in the UK. I think most people have some kind of belief in God. Most people, especially, who knows when the plane is dropping out of the sky, everyone prays. There is something in there that's believing in something bigger. You see, God isn't the issue. And, and, and most people in our nation have a heart for mission. Uh, I don't know if you watched the football match last night. Um, they raised £13 million pounds, uh, um, for children's charities last night. We watched the football match. So there's a big heart to bless people through mission-based projects in our nation. But people don't want to go to church for all kinds of reasons. So the issue isn't God and the issue isn't mission. The issue is the community. And I think probably because we live in this world, we struggle with that a bit too. It's just like, yeah, I've got my faith. I believe in my God. Yeah, I want to bless some people. It's church on Sunday. Might go, might not. And we're, we're getting bumped around. And there's all kinds of pressures on that. Who knows that in our nation, sports happen on a Sunday morning. I ha- I've had it. I've gone through it. Both Josh and Evie have done sports on Sundays. And I know the tension. And no judgment here because we allowed our children to do it. And I think it was the right thing to do. But you do need to get the tension right. It's not one or the other. It's how can we get the tension right? 
Can you see what I'm trying to say? Who knows that probably the biggest church in our nation on a Sunday morning is the car boot sale. <laughs> we love a car boot sale. I'll tell you what, I bought a CD for 3p. <laughs> probably never going to play a CD, but I got it for 3p. And people love you. I'm telling you now, I don't know how many people in the room. It's, it's great to see so many great faces. If we went to the boot sale, there would be thousands of people at the boot sale. But they're not in church. And if you stood at the door and interviewed every single one of them, most of them, I believe, would have some kind of faith in God. Most of them would have some kind of belief about a mission project. But most of them wouldn't see themselves in church. There's a, there's a, the nation is out of tension. And yet here we are, the church. What could we do? What could we do different to shift that element so that Jesus is lifted high? Could we grasp the importance of what God has ordained as powerful? Jesus said, didn't he? I will build my church and hell won't withstand it. You know, come on, I'm going to build my church. That's what's important to Jesus. And so that's what's important to me. Why? Because when hell visits this estate, when hell visits this school, when hell visits my street, do you know what? The church is still stronger. So no great surprise we find ourselves in this weird spiritual battle that oh, I don't know if I'm going to do church or not because it's in the strength of the church that things change. And so we are called together in amongst the tension, in amongst the other pressures. But my ask of you in this process is what's your tension and are you getting it right? Absolutely no judgment from me, I promise you. Have a look at this. Hebrews 6, same um, letter, uh, verses 10 through 12. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. I'll say it again. As you have helped his people. Who is he writing to? The church. And continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for, what you hope for, may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and, patient and, and patience inherit what has been promised. Here we go again. Here's this love, hope, and faith, all in this same passage. But in this one, I want you to look at how it flows. God's word, how does it flow? When you have loved the community of the church, hope flows. When you have loved the community of church, hope flows in mission and turns into faith. Where does it start? Where does faith start? When you love the community of the church. So we have this huge responsibility, church, to look around this room and go, could I love these people? Could I give some time to these people? Could I get in amongst their lives? Is there, is there a role I could play in your life? Could I help you? I wonder how many people would love to have a date night but haven't got a babysitter. Let's nut it down a little bit. What does love look like? And we were so blessed. We've got extended family, grandparents on both sides, all living in Colchester. Sarah got to spend loads of time with me, and she was so blessed. <laughs> but there are people in this church that haven't had a date night for years. And do you know why? Because they don't know who to ask. Could we love each other better? Could we make ourselves available to say, I want your marriage to flow. In fact, don't have a date night. Have an overnight stay in a hotel. The kids won't die. I'll look after them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pressure, Toby. The wife clapped. 
But seriously, the reason people clap is because I'm telling you the truth. Come on, don't leave it. Don't walk out of that, this room and go, I'm feel challenged. Do something, church. Love some people. There are people in this room who aren't going to meet a bill at the end of this month. And you're sitting there with thousands in your bank. What does love look like? But it's only when we get together and we get inspired together and we hear each other's stories that we get prompted to say, I'm on mission and one of my missions to love you better and one of my missions to love you better and one of my missions to love you better. We're in this together. And as we love the community of the church, hope flows out of it. And as hope flows out of it, people are blessed and loved. And as people are blessed and loved, they encounter Jesus and faith grows. So I want to suggest to you, if we want to see a faith explosion in our, in our town, the starting point is to learn to love each other better. When we talk about revival, it's talking about something that's already happened. It's reviving it. Come on, church, we need a revival. We need a revival of love that turns into revival of hope, that turns into revival of faith. Come on, we, it starts with me and you. Can you feel the weight of the responsibility here? I hope you do because it's real. Someone out there needs you to get this thing right so that we get that thing right. Could we create good habits? We've all got habits. I think a big habit in today's young people and probably knocking on into my generation is we love our phone. On my holiday, I turned my phone off, and for three days I had the twitches. But I tell you what, once I got past the twitches, I slept better, I was more engaged, I wasn't just in the room, I was in the room. It was really releasing. But you turn the phone back on, and I'm sure you're, you can relate to it, you're like this. Every... In the next three minutes, has anything happened on Facebook? But it's become a habit. Oh, did someone buzz me? I'm having a conversation with you. You get a text, and all of a sudden, that text is more important than you talking to me. How does that make me feel? Loved? Oh, no, I've got a text. Oh, don't worry. It was only aunt so-and-so. Well, so why'd you look at it then? Can you hear what I'm saying? We've got these little habits, and we have to do them. But if we are going to be God's house, and we are going to be spiritual people, could we challenge ourselves to create good spiritual habits? Now, we are looking at three sections of our faith, the mission, the development of faith, and the development of love. And if one third of our development is loving the saints, would it be a fair statement to say we need to be together consistently? And hear me again, I'm not saying if you come 10 weeks on the trot and miss one, I'm going to be going, well, that's it, they're out. They didn't even show up. That's not it. There will be a tension in your life. There will be a different to a tension in my life. And I respect that. All I'm asking is, can you challenge yourself to develop a good habit? That this is important because I've understood we get together to spur each other onto love. And as we spur each other onto love, hope and mission flows. And as hope and mission flows, people find Jesus and faith explodes. So it actually starts right here. I wonder, you know, I was having a little chuckle to myself as I wrote this sort of next section. I wonder how many people met their spouse in church. And here we are, wrestling with, do I come to church, don't I? But yet the most important person in your world you met in the room. I wonder how many children have been born because of something that happened in church. How many people have made a big life decision, changed a job, moved a city, 
uh, given a vast amount of money to something because of a prompt you got in the room. Something happens in the room when we get together that doesn't happen on your own. Life springs forth. You know, I was going to Hillsong in London for a, for a little while and God spoke to me in a meeting there about starting this church. Had I not bothered going to church, we wouldn't be stood here now. But because I knew it was the right thing to do to get in the room, I'd travel an hour and a half up to London to sit in a room with a gang of people who just wanted to worship Jesus. And out of that, God spoke to me. And here we are, and we started, started this church, and I love it that, that people have met, and people have got married, and people have had children. Why? Because someone went to church, and lives were changed. Who knows that when you bring your kids up in church, they're just going to go somewhere different, in a good way. It's important. We've had people healed in this room. We've had people set free from things that have bound them up, both physically and mentally and spiritually, for years because we got together. People have met Jesus because you showed up in a room. Lives are changed. We've given literally tens of thousands of pounds away over the years. People's lives are different because you got in a room. And you were inspired by a message together. If I got in a room of my own and God said to me, Barry, I want to challenge you. Can you give some money away? Because there's someone around the world who's being sexually abused today and it's just not okay. I'd say, come on, Sarah, what are we going to do? And we might be able to give a thousand pounds or we might even stretch ourselves to two thousand pounds. I don't know what we'd do, but we'd try to do something. But when you get a gang of people in the room who have the same heartbeat, you don't give a thousand pounds or two thousand pounds. You give a hundred thousand pounds away. Why? Because we're in the room together, being inspired together, and someone around the world is going to be blessed because you got in the room. I promise you there are people today, young girls, 8, 9 and 10 years old, who aren't any longer being abused because of you. And it's not because you stayed away isolated, it's because you got in the room. And hope springs forth, and faith springs forth. Those things don't happen on your own. And I'm at pains to say, Sometimes you're going to be on your own. Sometimes you're going to have other things on. Sometimes you're going to have other priorities. And I understand. But will you wrestle with some tension? Will you say to yourself, come on, I know I need to be in that room as often as I can possibly. I want to make it a habit. When I roll out of bed on a Sunday morning, I don't think to myself, well, what is it I'm doing today? I go to church. Who knows? Every single morning I get up, I brush my teeth. Amen. Praise the Lord. And each night before I go to bed, I brush my teeth. I don't go through the day thinking, what is it I'm going to do before I go to bed? Or what is it I'm going to do when I go? It's just a habit. I just do it. You don't need to be told to brush your teeth. It's a habit. I hope. <laughs> uh, uh, raise of hands. Who flosses? Oh, see. See, now I know he's got the real clean teeth. I've got, some, I've got some dentist friends, and they said to me, if I had the choice between flossing or brushing, and I could only do one or the other, I'd floss every single time. I was quite challenged by that, because they said, more of your teeth is hidden than is shown. And so when you floss, anyway, that's, I'm going off, off subject. <laughs> Habits. Wouldn't it be a good habit if on Wednesday you weren't having a chat at home saying, shall we go to church Sunday? It's not a discussion, it's what we do. The discussion should be, oh, we've got this on, maybe, maybe this week we have to miss church, but that'll be okay, won't it? Rather than the other way around. Because when we get together, something happens. Something happens. The house of God changes lives. And you know what? There's a feeling in the room. 
Now, if you go to a concert, Josh recently went to the Reading Festival concert, 100,000 people jumping around to loud music. Sounds frightening to me. But he loved it. And when he got there, with so many people expecting, it's just it's this buzz. It's a buzz in the room. Unbelievable. You know, maybe you're going to the workplace, and you go to the workplace, and you walk in the room, and there's a feeling in that room, whatever that might be. There's a feel in the room. Who knows that when you come into the room at church, there's a feeling. And when a gang of people who are full of faith and expectation get together in a room, people walk in and they're like, oh, something's happening here. Something's good here. Well, do you know what? You can add to that. You can add to that just by turning up with some expectation in your heart. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to have had a wash. You don't have to be wearing the right clothes. I don't really care. Just get in the room with some expectation and you will add to how it feels. Who knows that, that when I stand up the front and look at all these brilliant faces, I'm like, I'm lifted. They're in the room. They mean some business. Something's going on. As people look around and more people are coming, it's like there's something, something changes in the feel. Because more people are bringing their expectation to the room. More people are bringing their faith to the room. More people are bringing their skill and their gifting to the room. And it shifts how it feels. You have a part to play in that. So, so good. So let's have a look at this verse, this famous verse. On the back of, let us, let us, let us. It turns into Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Who's he talking to? The church. Not forsaking getting together, not forsaking getting in the room, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let me unpack that a second. That word forsaking actually means abandon, to be left in the lurch. There's Jesus on the cross, and I hope this moves you. My Jesus on the cross. My Jesus who lived a perfect life. My Jesus who everywhere he went, he healed people, he taught people, exhorted people, he lifted people out of pits, he let people go free. He changed lives. That's my Jesus hanging on the cross. And what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same word. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In my lowest moment, you're not here. You've left me in the lurch. Same word. Don't forsake the assembling. Can you see, it's not a twee thing, if you fancy it or you don't fancy it. When you're not in the room, it's like you've abandoned the people you're supposed to love. This adds more to it here in 2 Timothy. This is Timothy writing a letter here. 2 Timothy 4, sorry, it's Paul writing 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me. But all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. When I needed you most, you'd abandoned me. You'd left. You weren't here. And I had to wrestle it through on my own. I wonder how many of us have felt in church life that you're going through some stuff and you just don't know and you're looking for people and they're just not there. You feel abandoned. Come on, let's not abandon each other. I'm believing in this season, this church is going to go and do amazing, amazing things. But I'm not going to do it on my own, and you're not going to do it on your own. We're going to do it together. And if we abandon each other in the crucial moments, as one of us pushes, they're going to push on their own, and someone's going to fall apart. But if we come together, hope flows. Mission flows. Faith arises. Why? Because we learned to love each other and didn't abandon each other in terms of getting together to be inspired. Can you see the weight of the word? 
It's not a twee thing that, oh, if you take it or leave it, come or don't come. It's like, come on, don't abandon each other now. Some lives are on the line. Some faith's on the line. Some mission's on the line. Come on, don't forsake the, back, the gathering. Because when you get in the room, something happens. That time we had in worship and the way Daniel exhorted us in prayer doesn't happen in your front room. It happens in the room. And life springs forth. And people are encouraged. Can you see the weight of it? Let me round off with this little thought. God has always looked for a location for his glory to show up. Exodus 40, verse 34, said this. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Where they gathered to worship God, that's where he came. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Where they gathered to worship and honor him, that's where the glory cloud came. God has consistently manifested his glory in the meeting place. And that isn't to say you can't have a moment with God on your own. Absolutely you can. But there is something special and more powerful when we experience that together. God's looking for a house to let his glory rest. Let's, let's bring it up to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3, 16. Don't you, um, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? You know, you've got a portion of God in you. You've got a portion of God in you. You've got a portion of God in you. When we bring our portions together, the glory comes. It's powerful. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might uh, ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God has consistently done amazing things when we gather. He's consistently moved. There are people who have come into our meetings who don't know Jesus, have an encounter with the glory of God and leave knowing Jesus because we gathered. There are people in our nation looking for an encounter with God. Where do you think they look? They look to the church. But if the church has stopped gathering, there's nowhere for them to go to encounter the glory of God. And so my rallying cry to this amazing group of people that we call Equippers Essex is could you ask yourself about the tension of being in the room? Because just by being here, someone might meet Jesus. Because they're looking, where do I go? I sense something isn't right in my life. I've tried everything. I've tried all that's on offer. I've tried great counsel. I've tried gambling. I've tried all different stuff to try and shift something. I need something more. Maybe it's God. Where shall I go? Well, here's this church that meets at the school up the road. I wonder if God's there. I wonder if, something, if I went there, something would shift. And then they turn up. And because we've been on a journey where we learn to love each other better, they walk into a room of love. I don't believe, if we do church right, I don't believe you could walk in a more loving room than the church if we stepped up. Imagine that person who's just been beaten at work, relationships falling apart, feels like a failure, don't know where to turn, and they walk into a room of love. What does that do? 
And then the worship team strike up and someone prays a prayer or someone puts an arm around and they just have this encounter. Because a bunch of us wrestled with some tension and said, I'm going to make it a priority to be in that room because someone needs me to be there. When Daniel asks us those questions, I know what I want from you, what do you want from me? Well, I can be sure of this. He wants you to play your part in building his house, whatever that might look like for you. He wants you to play your part. So as we consider these tensions, and again, I understand them. If I went full Barry Roberts, I wouldn't understand them. Because it's what I'm called to. But I'll go half Barry Roberts and say, come on, let's encourage each other to get in the space where God might use you to bless someone else, where someone else might be used to bless you, where your defenses can come down, where your hope is stirred, where you have an encounter with the glory of God which sets you up for Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, where you go into the workplace different because you gathered with the saints where someone from this estate and it's going to happen it's going to walk in oh I heard you meeting at the school and they were expecting some religious service nothing against them but they ain't going to get that here they're going to get an encounter with the living God when someone comes in wrestling with all kinds of things in life and they just don't know where to turn what are they going to get when they walk in here they're going to get loved because we've been learning how to love each other in and I don't know what to do and they've got this financial issue or this health issue and someone just lays hands on them in faith and they're better and someone else comes alongside and says you know I've got this gift of giving in my life and God's positioned me I, I, I hear you you can't pay your bill at the end of the month here's the money that's what love looks like how would they walk out what would their message about the church be to their friends when they have that experience Oh, I couldn't go to church. Well, do you know what? I went. I, I went to church and it was flipping amazing. I just, I just felt better. I, I don't know what was going on, but something shifted in me. And someone came up to me and gave me 100 quid. Is that what love looks like? So good that um, Sarah works in aesthetic beauty. If you want your face injected, she's the lady to go to. And uh, it's a unique world. Her work colleagues are amazing, brilliant people, but they're quite extreme people. And uh, last Christmas, they came to, oh no, now two Christmases ago, um, when we were allowed to meet at Christmas, they came to our service, a bunch of them, with an opinion on church. And a gang of us got there together, did some carols, prayed, preached our little hearts out, had a coffee. She went from, sorry, you guys are flipping amazing. Lovely to you guys because you change lives. And it's not about what's right and what's wrong and what styles this and that style. And I never want to tell you off if you can't make it, but when we get together, we change lives. And her friends had a chat at the weekend. And there's a lady came down from up north who's developed this product, which Dr. Hillary's going to promote, so Sarah's going to be involved in that on TV. It's a big deal. And they sat and they got talking with this person up north and they say to Sarah, what does your husband do? 
always an awkward one in our house. I don't know if you've ever been asked, you know, anything that might lead to you talking about your faith, and you can easily skirt around it, can't you? But when they say, what does your husband do? You're out there. He leads the church. Does he? No. Why? Because they have a little belief in God, and they do believe in mission, but they're not coming to church. Church? Why would you do church? And her colleagues who came at Christmas, not Sarah, she didn't have to say a word sat there and went we went it was unbelievable we're definitely going back they were so lovely to us everyone hugged us on the way in they made us feel so welcome I couldn't believe it oh when they sang oh goosebumps they prayed for us oh we walked out there like we're on a cloud we loved it it was the best thing ever that's what they said how good for unchurched people to promote church. And the reason they could promote church is because you guys got in a room and loved them. You guys got in a room and worshipped the King of Kings and he came in amongst the meeting and people who didn't understand what was going on were touched. I want to see more of that. I want to see your work colleague in here. I want to see your next door neighbor in here. I want to see your parent, your brother, your sister, whoever it might be who's not encountered Jesus in the room. Because I can confidently say when they get in a room with you in it, they're going to encounter Jesus. And lives will be changed. So what I'd love to do is pray for you. I hope you're hearing the heart and the essence of what I'm saying. But... Uh, I love to say things like you're a world changer, you're a life changer, and you are. And it works through this, that we get inspired and someone somewhere in your world gets blessed. Because you can't leave a meeting that we're in without the heart of God pumping in you. And so when you go to work, suddenly you're like, I've learned to love these people. And it makes me laugh because when I look around the room, we're a right old mishmash of people, aren't we? From all over the world, different ideas. But somehow God just says, but that's what I want to use. It's you. It's someone like me. It's us. And so what I want to pray is that you say, God, what do you want from me in this season? What's the tension? And it's okay to have tension. But people need you to be in the room. We need each other in the room. People who don't yet know Jesus need you in the room. Wouldn't it be awesome if someone came in the room next week and maybe you'd been thinking, I'm probably not going to be here next week, but you've heard this and you feel like, oh, actually that challenged me a little bit. I'm going to come. Wouldn't it be awesome if you came next week and someone came in who's never been in church before and sat next to you? And you had a conversation with them that opened up their eyes to who Jesus really is. And someone's life gets saved. I want to populate heaven. I hope you do. But if you weren't in the room, they would have sat next to someone else. And it might have been a brilliant person. But maybe you were God's person. But you chose to do something else. And you got the tension out of kilter. Are you hearing me? I hope I've said that with humility and grace. But I also hope I've given you a little prod. Because you are a flipping brilliant church. You really are. Everywhere we go, people talk well of us. You're amazing.
and those of you who are relatively new and joining in with us, I just know God's positioned you for this season because you're going to help us. And when I say us, I mean all of us together. Go somewhere we couldn't have gone without you. I don't think people, God brings people to church just for a bum on a seat. I believe it's because you've got a gift that we need in the church. It's because you've got some love in your heart that someone in this room needs. And when we put all that together, this weird thing called church goes on mission. And the world can't be the same. So could I invite you to stand to your feet? Because I want to pray for you. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes. This is personal to everyone, and I, I fully understand that everyone's in a different life situation. I get it. Hear me. I get it. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the anointing you've put on this church, for the lives that have been changed and will be changed because of this church. Thank you that we're not a church on our own, but we're part of a global church. And thank you that our group of churches is part of the church worldwide, and you've got a mandate for the church. Your hand is on the church. Lord, I want to ask that we'd see more of your glory as we gather, that your presence would be thick, that people would want to run to the church because they know their life will be changed when they do. Stir something in our hearts to want more of that. But Lord, as everyone in this room and everyone online who might watch it has heard this message, I pray, Lord God, that you'd prompt us to pray that prayer that says, what do you want from me in this season? What does my attention look like? Lord, I pray that we'd be better at loving each other yes with a hug but more than that going a bit deeper and saying how could I serve you how could I make your life a little bit better so that as a community we feel it together I pray that we could be a bunch of people that are so open with our lives that we don't hide our struggles and we don't keep our celebrations to ourselves we share them with the church the family and we feel it together Lord, I pray that everyone would find their flow in this church. Jesus. Lord, I just want to declare a new day over everyone today. For all the decisions we're making on the back of pandemic and the rest of it, I pray today's a new day that we could re-look at our lives and say, Father, what's the tension look like for me? And that we could just make God-based decisions so that we'd flow, so that we'd play our part in building the house and we'd play our part in building our own house. But in it all, Jesus, you be glorified. Stir your church, stir your church, stir your church. Thank you, Lord God, for the anointing on this church for healing. Let us flow in it now, Lord. We've seen bits and pieces. Let us be known for it for your glory. You're someone struggling, where'd you go? That church that meets at St. James's School, you'll get healed in that place. You're struggling in life, where'd you go? Well, go to that church that meets at St. James because you're going to encounter something different there. And it's the glory of God.
I just declare a blessing over you, church. Every individual, every household, every child, be blessed in Jesus' name. You have been called for this time. Thank you for what you carry. Thank you for what you bring. I honor that. So let's go and build a great church. Let's go and bless an amazing town, the oldest recorded town in our nation. Let it become famous for the glory of God. Let it become famous for churches sprouting up and growing and flourishing and bringing impact. Uh, let it become famous, Lord God, for, for the love that exists in the church. And let us, Lord God, play our small part in that, I pray. And all God's people said, bless you guys. <laughs>